Welcome to the 12th podcast in our First Peter Sermon Series, Through the Fire. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Bruce Bentley will be continuing our series with a sermon called Your Everyday Apologetic. First Peter chapter three, that's way, where we are at this morning. Uh, I am excited about this series, especially for this morning as we consider where Peter is taking us through the fire as Christ continues to refine us and refine his church uh, and the details of what that looks like for us and for the challenge that is before us this morning may be more of a challenge for you than usual, all right? I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, it, it may be, and we're going to go there uh, together this morning. So this morning, we're going to begin with uh, considering the term culture war or culture wars. Anybody heard that before? It's a relatively newer term. It's only been around ah, maybe 30 years or so. I can't remember who brought it up first. I think it was some German guy. It wasn't Martin Luther. That's a whole different era. But some, somebody brought it up somewhere. And really, when we talk about or mention the word words culture wars, really what we're talking about is a, is a conflict uh, over different ideas okay, within our culture all sorts of people and the backgrounds in our culture, and uh, it should be no surprise, sooner or later, we're going to come into a conflict on something, right, because of our differences. Uh, So we've had a lot of culture wars over the years over a lot of different things, music and arts, uh, the different laws that we have, the different laws we may have, uh, traditions, Uh, morals and ethics and even holidays. So you see a picture on the screen of a little girl grabbing candy. The three biggest holidays in our culture, in our society, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. And I can't remember where I saw it. I saw it not too long ago that the amount of money that that our society, that Americans spends uh, on those three holidays it used to always be Christmas, right? We, we spend gobs of money on Christmas, but it, actually the money, the amount of money we spend on Halloween, we being our country, is more than ever. In fact, it rivals the amount of money we spend at the end of the year for Christmas. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Halloween is that big of a deal. So they're entr- those three things are entrenched in our culture. We do a lot together. We spend a lot of money for these things. We have some outdoor gatherings, depending on where you live in this country, and not so many outdoor gatherings right now, unless you have a snowmobile suit on. Uh, but it, we, we do a lot. We gather together, mostly, especially around here, indoors. Uh, we get close together. We share food. We share candy. And then the CDC comes out again recently. They published some more guidelines, and they spoke into the whole Halloween cultural thing, and they say that traditional 
observances like door-to-door trick-or-treating, okay? Uh, the uh, trunk-or-treat thing that a lot of people do, a lot of churches do, are events that are, quote, high risk. So the cultural war uh, is redefined again on, okay, what are we going to do in response to that? And what should we do in response to that? Well, uh, as we see the line being drawn, then we have to decide. Some people say, okay, I won't do anything. I'll, I'll respond in kind to what the CD says and what uh, officials say. I'll turn off the porch light. I'll eat the candy myself. I'll push everybody away. You go and do your own thing, right? Uh, and even with Thanksgiving and Christmas, people are rethinking that, right? Do we gather as a family anymore? You know, different ages and uh, the things that we traditionally normally do we're wondering maybe we, you know, maybe we should shut that down too. Do the Thanksgiving Zoom dinner or whatever. So you've got that side of the response, right? And you've got people on the other side of where that line is drawn. And especially when it comes to Halloween, the pushback is, come on, it's prepackaged, right? Uh, we've already got masks on. Let the kids have their fun. Get out of our way. Let us just do our thing. No, no one's going to get hurt by you know, just walking around and picking up candy. And then you've got probably the majority somewhere in the middle wondering what are we going to do and which side should we take? What is the right thing to do as the line gets drawn for things that we traditionally do, we don't even think of, but now we're beginning to wonder, right? Peter's audience, his audience in the first century, they had their own version of culture wars, traditions, values, things that were part of the culture that these believers who have been probably physically exiled, like what we've talked about, moved and relocated from one place to another in, the, in Asia Minor, they bring their cultural expectations, they bring their traditions and their values, the cultures that already live there, they already have their traditions and values and so forth, and then you interject this fact that, well, they're now believers in Christ. They're followers of Jesus. And Peter's addressing those things in a way that, you know, now you need to be thinking about how, that is, how it is you're living, your lifestyle, those traditions, those things that you always did. Look at those in light of Christ and your new relationship with him that is transforming everything, including your lifestyle. So there's some things that, that fit, okay, I'll use that word, I don't know if that's the best word, but those things that are existing in, in the culture, those things that uh, are valued by different people in the culture, right? There, there are some things that fit or that parallel, that come alongside, that aren't against the gospel, and there are other things that, well, that kind of stand out as different. That's part of going through the fire that we're going through with Peter here, understanding those things that are different. So some cultural values, uh, just as in Peter's day, we can look at the culture around us, even though it is changing and shifting, and we can say that, well, because they're not against the gospel, we can be neutral with some of these values if they're not contrary to it. Now, one of the best things that happened to me when I was in college, when I went to college as a freshman, because I came out of a very uh, conservative background in church and, and family and experience, 
And I'm looking at the first time in a big city, Chicago, and all the, and the culture there, right? Uh, and kind of being bombarded with these options and the ways that I could live, right? As a freshman in college. And then where do I draw the line? Uh, the traditions I had, the, what, what, are, what are the traditions I'm going to keep? What are the values I'm going to keep? What is it that is contrary and what is it that it doesn't, you know, uh, affect the way that I believe? One of the best things that I heard uh, one of my professors say, which goes all, I, I read different things. It might go all the way back to Augustine, the very beginning of the Christian church. May not, I don't know for sure. One of the best things I heard is this. All truth is God's truth, meaning God has his stamp on all things that are good, that are truth-filled, that affect the way that we think and we live. God has his stamp on it. Even if there are pagan philosophers, as in Peter's day, that affect the culture around us, we can say because, because some of these things they're saying are not against the gospel, that they're okay. Because God's truth is in there somewhere. Are you following me so far? All truth truly is God's truth. So there are some things that Peter uh, reinforces, that he endorses. So the last couple of weeks we looked at uh, what is referred to as a household, rules of the household or household conduct. That was important in the culture. So even though you're, you're a Christian, you follow Christ, there are some things in the, in the culture that are valued that are important even as you are still learning how to be a Christian. The things coincide, they overlap, they agree. And that's important in the culture. So uh, Peter addresses those things just like Paul addresses those things in, in some of his writings that believers need to be aware of. Uh, just because you're new in Christ doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. And you have responsibilities within the culture. And, and not everything is against you, so don't go overboard. Don't overreact. Don't knee-jerk to everything that's around you, okay? So that's going on. Peter addresses those. We've talked about those, some of those issues the last couple of weeks. But at the same time, not everything is a perfect overlap. And there are some things as a new believer uh, gets to, to, uh, to know about or begins to learn about that stand out as different from the culture. So let's read the passage. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Peter says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that 
When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, uh, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So here in chapter 3, Peter mentions some virtues of a Christ follower. Chapter 3, beginning of verse 8, finally he says, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Most of those, uh, even the pagan philosophers, endorse, encourage, write about. So people would read that and go, yeah, duh, of course you should do that. Of course you should be a brotherly love. There's even a city, Philadelphia, not, not so much the current city of Philadelphia, as far as marked by brotherly love, right? But there's even a city named of brotherly love. That's what the word means. These things are common, they're accepted by the culture, they fit with virtues and values of Christianity, but not so much humility. What does he say? Uh, uh, he says, a humble mind. The way that you should be thinking is in humility. And other writers address humility, but Peter also, not just, not just in this verse, but he develops from here through the rest of the book, he develops this idea of being humble towards others. Now, especially in an ancient shame and honor kind of culture, humility was scorned. It was scorned. It was flat out rejected. That's, that's kind of stupid. You wouldn't do that for a number of different reasons. That's where the line was drawn. That was unacceptable. Now, what's the big deal with that? Why is that, why is that so important? Or why... why would that stand out, especially in Peter's day? Well, look at what he says here. Verse 8, and it's didn't, it never struck me this way. Uh, other times I've read First Peter, not until the past couple weeks when I took more time to read what's going on here. Peter puts humility and all these virtues, he combines them together and then kind of saturates the rest of what he's saying with these virtues, especially humility of mind, Okay. So we can't read the rest of what's going on without, or we shouldn't. We shouldn't read the rest of what's going on without thinking about humility or being humble. So when we look at those verses, we look at them from the perspective of being humble or having a humble mind, a humble mindset. So bless instead of repay, evil for evil. How would you do that? The only way you would want to do that is from Humility. Seek life as the Lord defines it. We have that quote that he gives us, uh, verses 10 through 12. It's from Psalm 34. We read from Psalm 34 at the beginning of the service. It is as God defines it, not as I define it. If, if it's about me uh, seeking life, living life, then I can't be doing that. I can't have that attitude and be both humble at the same time. So humility begins to redefine the way I see life. Even to suffer for righteousness' sake, to be willing, to be ready to go there, to do without, uh, to, to see my life hurt, uh, to see my uh, privileged uh, status somehow removed or lessened, that is about being humble. Defend your hope, but he says what in verse 15? Defend it in a way that comes from being gentle. 
and respecting other people. And we're going to spend more time on that uh, in just a second. And to do these things, he says, with a clear conscience, verse 16, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, not if, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That, everything else that he says in this book comes from the perspective of being humble in heart. He combines them, these virtues together so that a follower of Jesus, you need to begin thinking in a counter-cultural, lifestyle kind of way. Are you following me so far? These virtues plus humility brings to, or come, they come together in a way that redefines your life as a believer that's not going to fit perfectly in with the culture around you. You will stand out. And there's no denying it. There's something different. Now maybe, maybe some things I get from this person, I understand that, they seem normal, but there's something else that doesn't seem normal. And it, it, it bugs me a little bit. I don't quite understand where they're coming from. And as God uses that, maybe somebody says, I want to know more. So it redefines us. It becomes more and more radical as we consider our lifestyle, as we consider what it is that we want to do and how we want to live, and especially as it plays out in all things in our life, as, it, as that humility of mind begins to control and change us, that will change everything else. Now, I'm going to go right to what I think uh, is the crux for us this morning as we consider how to apply this. I believe our greatest struggle is not with the culture around us as believers today. No, it's not. I believe as believers who truly want to be changed by Christ and follow him and live for him, the struggle isn't on the outside, it's on the inside. Our greatest Struggle is the lack of humility within us. <laughs> Dropped a bomb. Okay. Now let that sink in. Truly, I, I plead with you, let that sink in. Because what do we prefer to talk about? What do we prefer to argue about? What, what are we most offended by? What is, what is it that we struggle with the most, right? I mean, think about it. It's those values, it's those traditions that are swirling around us, that are changing around us. I don't like this. Uh, uh, this doesn't seem to be moral. It's not right. It, it bothers me. I think the way Peter is leading us is away from that and back to look at our own hearts. And how do we humbly uh, think of our response to the culture around us to the opportunities we have for ministry and what it is that Jesus wants to do. We love culture wars. We eat them up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, we love to talk about and love to debate and argue with them, uh, and not just within the church, with other people from outside the church. And that may be the problem, maybe the biggest problem, because we can lose sight of what is truly transforming, and not just even within our own lives, uh, with those who are outside the church who don't know Christ yet. What transforms somebody? A really good argument or being humble of mind and reflecting the love and the humility of Christ? The most powerful, everyday, uh, apologetic we can bring to the table 
today is one that is saturated, that comes from the perspective of humility. And I use the word apologetic because we get that word, our word apologetic today, from the Greek word that uh, in English is translated defense. In verse 15, it's apologia. Sounds like apologetic, doesn't it? That's where apologetic comes from. Let, uh, let me read it again. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That apologia word, it could have been used, probably was used in ancient times for uh, an actual making a defense in a court of law. If you're on the witness stand, or, or maybe you're being sued or whatever, uh, being brought into a legal courtroom situation that make a defense, an apologia, that was probably used. But uh, from what I'm learning in First Peter's day, the people he's writing to, uh, persecution of believers, of the, of the Christians, of the way that they were known as, that really hasn't begun yet. So as far as making a defense of your faith in the courtroom, because what you believe is, is illegal or unofficial in the Roman Empire, probably hasn't happened yet. So maybe Christians uh, are having to go to court and making a defense for some things, but I think the defense that they're making is an everyday defense, is an everyday apologetic. What is it that we need to keep in mind as the first believers did when it comes to an everyday apologetic uh, in the way that we handle ourselves and the things that we talk about? Well, number one, I believe it begins and continues with Jesus as Lord. What does Peter say? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Revere him. Honor him. Put him in first place. He, you know, maybe that sounds basic and duh, you know, get on to the next one. But we can't skip over that. And especially when it comes to trying to defend our faith or reason with people, don't forget that we've got to honor Jesus in the way that we do it. That's sinking in? Set him apart in your attitude of mind, in the way that you present yourself, in the things that you're talking about, humbly and reverently submit to the lordship of Jesus in all that we do, especially when it comes to this area. Honor him in all ways and every way above everything else, especially when it comes to your preference or your ways or what you think is most important especially when it comes to in our culture today and engaging in our culture and, and what's the hot button issue right, right now? Politics, right? The things that are going on around us and where should believers stand in that? Is Jesus Lord of your attitude? Is he uh, over the things that you are talking about, the things you're holding on to? Sometimes I think we can be at odds with Jesus' authority and not realize it. So constantly renew your thinking. Bring Jesus back into the picture if you've lost him, okay? If he's become a sideshow in what is primarily important to you, go back to him first and then consider the rest of what it is you want to do. So that's the first thing. Number two, you got to show up. Uh, establishing and being a part of what God is doing, 
requires believers to show up. Our apologetic bears fruit, okay? God uses it. The Holy Spirit does something in the lives of people around us when and only when we speak from a position of hope in Christ and we are actually there to do it. Believers have to show up to be able to speak. This verse, verse 15, assumes that there will be conversations going on, believers with non-believers, okay, uh, with people who don't know Christ uh, and that don't know the hope uh, of life and the change of life that a relationship with Christ brings. It assumes that there are conversations that are happening. In the first century, as well as the 21st century, believers need to be present in the culture and with people that we disagree with in the culture around us. We've got to be there so that the question or the conversation can actually happen. Are you getting me? The question, why, why, the question, why, would, why would you have hope? Why would, why would you act differently right now that, that can't happen, it can never be asked of a believer if the believer is never close enough to be seen and asked in the first place. You got that? We've got to show up. Uh, but showing up is never really completely safe and always has consequences and it gets complicated, which is why it requires humility. Here's a way we can show up. Now, uh, I may make some of you a little nervous on this, but I think this is not just an outcome, uh, an application of what Peter is saying, but I believe it squares perfectly with what the mission of our church is and the importance of showing up. So, instead of, practical application point here, instead of limiting your business transactions, because so much of what we do has to do with money, right? Where we spend it and where we don't spend it. Instead of limiting your business transactions to only business people, businesses, companies, stores, whatever, instead of limiting to only those businesses that share your values, consider spending money and time with people that don't share your values. All right? You with me so far? Okay? I don't see any pitchforks or burning anything, so l let me take this a step further. Christians, now I'm talking to you, those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus. When you see something like a rainbow sticker on a business door or window, how do you react to that? Do you see that or that business as a place that you should avoid, ignore, move on your way? Or do you see that as a place where maybe I should spend my money and my time? I've got an idea, and I'd like to share it with you, okay? Now, it's just an idea, but I see an opportunity, maybe as an affinity group, we mentioned this last couple weeks, I think, uh, as we are able to gather during the winter, and I know restrictions, and who knows where they're going to go, so all, everything we decide right now is tentative, right? So maybe there is an opportunity for a few of us to go to a business uh, that is 
that is right at, they put it right out that their business model is LGBTQT plus whatever friendly, okay? Uh, and that's where they're at as a business. Uh, and I've been talking to uh, this business owner and I found out that there's a way that maybe we could go in and a group of us be a part of kind of a crafty thing that takes about two hours that you can sit around and work on something together and you, you leave that experience with a little whatever you made and you take it home. So just think, instead of avoiding this business because the stance they take, what if we go to this business and we've got two hours to work on something and to hang out together and to have conversations based on, you know, who are you guys? Where do you come from? Because here, here's, you know, I'm not a betting man, but I put money on this, that a business like the one I'm thinking of, maybe they've catered to certain denominations that really don't have a moral standard anymore, or they've uh, catered to or the other organizations uh, that are just okay with everything, uh, or maybe they've heard about churches that come across in a particular way that kind of feels, well, hateful, okay? What if we weren't either of those? What if City on a Hill has an opportunity to shine like a city on a hill in a place that doesn't have the light of the gospel? And we, you know, where's your group? Where are you from? Well, we're City on a Hill. I don't know how, it's almost every time. When I use City on a Hill, the name of our church, I use it in my email, and because it's long, probably, and people go, huh? City, uh, what? And people still in our city, in our city of Rosemont do that. But many of the times people go, oh, oh, that's kind of cool. I have a chance to talk about why we exist and what, what that name means. What if we get a group of people together, we go in, we start doing this craft stuff, I've got the card out, we talk about City on a Hill. Oh, who are you guys? Well, we're not that one side, that one group, uh, that just kind of believes everything and nothing, and we're not the other extreme that refuses or acts kind of hateful. We're different than that. And you better believe people still stop and go, huh, and maybe do the Google search and maybe find our website or find our Facebook page. And what is it about these weirdos that's different? If we don't have a humble approach to people, those conversations will never happen. In our culture today, we've got to get past those things that maybe we bristle, or maybe we've got preconceived ideas or preferences, but you know what? Some of those preferences get in the way of the gospel. So what if we show up? And who knows? Who knows what conversation or question that Jesus could use when somebody goes, I, I can't put you guys in the pigeonhole that I thought I could, and I want to know more. It still happens. Brothers and sisters, are you hearing me? These conversations still happen. And then all of a sudden, I've got a chance to explain the hope that I have with gentleness and respect. Love to talk about my ideas more, and I think we will in coming weeks and not just my idea, maybe you've got an idea. Maybe there's a way that we can gauge with people around us this coming season, right? 
uh, that, you know, yeah, we've got restrictions, we've got issues with group sizes and homes and buildings. Yep, we've got all that. Let's think outside of the box. Let's think of ways that we could engage and interact and put ourselves in the place where we show up and things begin to happen. Last one, and we're almost done here. Requires suffering like Jesus. Really, this is a teaser for next week because where we end this morning is very artificial. Peter goes on to talk about the sufferings of Christ, but let me just say this. Pride, ego, desire to be right, the desire in our, uh, maybe our approach to apologetics uh, to point out the wrong of others has truly crippled the gospel presence in our lives and uh, in the way that we interact with other people. That really causes suffering to the cause of Christ. He says, if you should suffer. In Peter's day, if you should suffer is just about to become when you do suffer. So the timing is perfect. He's getting, he's addressing believers right before the, that last shoe drops in the Roman Empire. We don't know where our culture is going. I'm not making, you know, desperate, dark predictions, okay? All I'm saying is we don't know where our culture is going either, what exactly is going to happen next year. Just think about 2019, right? <laughs> Nobody could have guessed the 2020 would be like this. We don't know what is right around the corner. So what is it that we can address now when the timing is just right? So we don't have, we don't have the kind of suffering that, that Peter's uh, uh, readers were just about to engage in. But there is a level to suffering when it comes to be a, a, a follower of Jesus that includes, yeah, not necessarily getting beat up for your faith, but it includes those things that we've got to start learning how to do without or to work through or to get over. That's kind of going through the fire. So what does suffering look like for you now, Christian, believer, follower of Jesus? What are the things, maybe traditional things, maybe things in the culture, maybe just things personally that you're holding on to still that you really need to learn how to let go of, get rid of, work through, get past, show up in the way that we need to, that you need to, even if it hurts. That's what I'm saying. That's a little bit of suffering that I think that is before all of us this morning. And you do that your way. And you do that in the way that Jesus uses you. One of the things that I admired most about my dad when he was involved with groups of people, whether at church or uh, when he worked for the county assessor office, dad was quiet, dad did things his way, dad was not an outspoken public speaker kind of guy. But when he spoke, people would be quiet because they knew he was smart, and he chose his words carefully, and he meant what he said. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're not babbling all the time. Great. <laughs> but maybe there's an opportunity that you've been missing, and because you don't babble all the time, when you do speak up, heads turn. Oh, so-and-so has something to say. What is it that God could use you in, that position you're in? How could he speak through you in a way that 
sets you apart in a way that people go, huh, I can't, I can't put him in this or that camp. There's something different about her. What is it that makes that woman different? The hope that you have in Christ. It's redefining, it's shaping, it's giving you something else to talk about. I keep thinking about Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. I mentioned her a number of times, a, a intelligent, advanced, academic, an author, uh, all these things she had in her life. Also a committed lesbian in a lesbian relationship. And it wasn't until, she wrote all sorts of things and blogs, sorts of things. It wasn't until a pastor that uh, had read something that she wrote about religion, about Christianity, wrote a letter to her, and uh, she tells it beautifully in one of her first books and how she came to Christ. It took years for her to come to Christ or even go into the door of a church because she thought she'd be struck by lightning. So she read the letter, and this pastor, he, he articulately pointed out his view, but he didn't slam on her. It wasn't hate-filled. And she read the letter, and it, like a visual at her desk. She couldn't put it in the um, he likes me pile, like here's my fan mail pile. Couldn't put it there, but he, she couldn't just throw it away because he doesn't hate me either. He's not ripping on me. He's somewhere in a place where I don't know what to do with it. And she couldn't put it down. It was a very simple, respectful, humble letter that still spoke truth, but did it in a way that God used. And then years later, she's now speaking for Christ, loving Christ, leading other people to Christ. God used that one letter to make a profound difference. If we could be, could be those kinds of people, that when we speak up, people listen, when we speak into things that truly matter, that we speak in a way that, yes, defends our faith, but does it in a way that people go, huh, I want to know more. That's what we need to have in our church today. Does that bring about suffering? Absolutely. Is there, will there be a point in your life that you can't have that and other stuff and do other things? Yep, certainly. Next week, we get deeper into what Christ did for us to enable us to have that humble kind of response. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the difficulties of what it means to be a believer that is in this world and yet not of it. They are complicated. They are profound. We need your help. We need your wisdom and discernment to guide us into these areas where we don't fully understand and maybe we don't feel competent or capable. Lord, take us into places that we would normally, traditionally avoid. Take us into places with a new found resolve and courage that reflects your heart. Take us into places where we can show up for you, Christ. Take us into places that we can speak, but to be speaking in such a way that is filled with gentleness and respect and leaves people hungry for more. Lord, we want the hope that we have to shine in new and powerful and even effective ways in the lives of those people around us. Lord, hear our prayer and move in a new way. 
that even though we've got restrictions and things that have complicated church and the things that we normally do, Lord, in the midst of the complicated, shine a new light of hope and love and truth that reflects your gospel and makes people go, I want to know Jesus. Lord, work in that way. Draw us closer to yourself even as we draw closer to the others around us. And we'll give you the glory for all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, Faithworks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.